Now, what are you doing here? friend uh, <laughs> not that you're like a horse but you sound horse <laughs> it's exactly that's exactly what it sounded like um <laughs> no i'm i'm doing really great a lot has happened and i have so much to say about our selection today i also do i uh, forgot how much i watched this movie because i i remember a lot a lot of detail. I was like, oh yeah. Oh, I remember physically feeling things at this point. <laughs> I forgot like two thirds of the details of this movie. And then it all came rushing back. <laughs> and like the fucking African roommate, like I completely <gasps> forgot about that. And then, uh, then he was there, and I'm like, oh, God, that's right. This was fucking part of this movie. The description of him was just so offensive. Jesus like, that did, that wouldn't Christ. fly nowadays, for sure. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember how much people were saying Zach Braff was hot after... Really? Yeah, like, a lot of... Really? I went to an all-girls school, so, I mean, they were like, <laughs> yeah, like... Zach Braff, he's, like, really hot. I'm like, you guys haven't been around dudes in a long time. <laughs> I, like... Stop. He's, like, not even in the top five hottest cast members of Scrubs. Like, <laughs> it goes... Obviously, it goes Neil Flynn, number one. Okay. Then <laughs> Donald Faison. Then, uh, then I think I would actually put Judy Reyes a little ahead of Sarah Chalk. Then Sarah yeah. Chalk. Uh, then, um, then the guy that plays Ted, the attorney, and then Zach Braff. You would really put Neil as number one? No, that was a joke. That was, that was an improv thing. That was, I like funny guys. Uh. Okay, that defeats the whole purpose of the argument, though, because Zach Braff (laughs) is ugly. Folks, it's probably should have known better. Celebrating comedy that has aged very poorly, I'm Tony Ginocchio, joined, as always, by my dear friend and the only good person. <laughs> it's Nadia Vasquez. What? The only I, good person? I I, I I know plenty of good people. You're making <laughs> them look bad. I, <laughs> I, I keep having to top myself with... Um, with the intros for you, because I like to I like to compliment you because you're someone whose friendship I value very much. Thanks. Well, I feel bad now because I usually just kind of say the same thing, and now I feel I have to, you know, up the ante a little bit. No, Fuck. no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. That's what friends do, it's though. Fun. They constantly raise the bar for you to meet. 
Yes, that's they how friendship levels up. Put insane, unreasonable pressure on themselves <laughs> to outperform whatever they did previously. Uh, motivated by some sort of like irrational fear that if they don't do that, the friendship is over forever. That's oh, what God. friendship is. Yeah, for sure. Now I'm just nervous. <laughs> it's like I have to really perform well today. <laughs> well, it's okay. We can just relax and talk about our selection today, a film that doesn't make either one of us completely furious <laughs> and filled with regret. Uh, folks, we're going back to 2004, and we're going to a movie that, when it came out, both Nadia and I used to fuck with quite a bit. <laughs> it's Zach Braff's Garden State. Oh, Garden State. I have the DVD. I watched I, the I DVD. also have the DVD. <laughs> I, what happened? What happened between then and now? <laughs> what was wrong with us? It, so this is a movie, like... I am, in a sense, I am proud of us for finding a movie for our 10th episode that is absolutely terrible, but terrible <laughs> in such a completely different way than our yeah. previous nine selections. Yeah, you know, um, I have a lot to say about it. I think I'm, I'm going to get into it as far as, you know, the themes of the movie, but... Uh, <laughs> I think I just have had enough of watching films made by white dudes who, like, are sad. I mean, let's be real, like, you guys are sad, but we're sadder. So, like, everyone else except you are sadder, but, like, nice try. <laughs> it's so infuriating. So, but I think it's, what's more infuriating is I am looking back at my younger self. Yes. And yes. realizing the insane privilege that I had to relate to a movie that is this stupid. <laughs> that is absolutely what I am feeling as well. I just want to give a brief synopsis of the film for anyone that may not have seen it. Uh, so, guys, Garden State. Once upon a time, Zach Braff rented The Graduates. And he thought, <laughs> this is good. I'm going to try to do this. So he made a movie uh, in which he plays a character, Andrew Largeman, loosely based on himself in his early days as an out-of-work actor in L.A. He gets a phone call in the opening scene of the film. His mom has died. He flies back to his home state of New Jersey for the funeral, connects with a bunch of awful, awful friends. Just terrible. Meaningless, empty lives. But then... He meets a girl named Sam, played by Natalie Portman, who does not have any problems at all with how she is depicted in the film. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she regrets this, by the way. So, you know, she's like such a pioneer for white feminism. Do you think she hates this? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, We're going to have to call her for an interview. <laughs> yeah, what has she done since this? She did Black Swan. That was like she her, did that the... was her Oscar Yes, and her Jackie O movie, which also oh, uh, nominated. Right. Yes. Uh, I have and no idea. Annihilation. I Annihilation. Oh, maybe she does regret this then. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyways, he falls in love. He learns how to feel. The entire film is a massive, just, he might as well have filmed himself jerking off for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, the film is perhaps most famous for its soundtrack, which won mm -hmm. a Grammy Award. 
for yes, it did. best for- compilation soundtrack, which I didn't realize you could win a Grammy for just taking songs someone else made and burning them onto for a CD. For making a mixtape is what he did. He just made a mixtape. It does feature a lot of, like, really underground indie artists like Coldplay and <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. I just want to say that if you can win a Grammy for making a playlist, I want to submit my emo playlist that's 16 hours long on Spotify, because I really feel like I would win. Oh, I don't think I follow your emo playlist. I follow your bangers playlist. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I'll definitely that link is a good that one. <laughs> for everybody to listen to. It has party jams for hours, and uh, the party will never stop. Yeah. <laughs> if you play uh, it, so. If you play it, just, and make sure you set it to repeat. That's great. Um, <laughs> I, this movie came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. We were both in high school. Yes, we um, were. This was a film that I, like, rented when I was in high school and watched by myself when my classmates were out uh, drinking <laughs> or something. And I was like, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. There's cool music there's all sorts of neat stuff he's doing with the camera and he just he speaks so well to this sense of loneliness and ennui that only (laughs) i a 17 year old white man who borrows his parents station wagon to go to parties in lincolnshire illinois can possibly understand oh yeah it's uh how does a how old are we 16 16-year-old Nadia who, like, really listens to Taking Back Sunday on repeat (laughs) and who, for fun, avoids parties where people drink and, like, has Harry Potter-themed parties with her friends, uh, sits in a room with other 16-year-old girls and, like, cries deep sobs. (laughs) Watching Zach Braff. Much like Zach Braff's character. We're learning how to feel. We were learning how to feel. I think I felt too much, and I was happy that somebody was talking about feelings. No, no, to be fair, a lot of people weren't actively expressing themselves in a way that's like, guys, we need to talk about our feelings for two hours. Like, (laughs) that wasn't happening. What I want to say is this is our 10th episode. And we've watched some real garbage so far for this podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have. What Women Want is very bad, and you shouldn't watch it, but <laughs> What Women Want has a clearly distinguishable beginning, middle, and end. Uh, the plot follows normal beats like an inciting incident, rising action, climax, falling action. It is a very short falling action. But yeah, yeah. It is a story. (laughs) This movie is more an assemblage of images and camera angles that Zach Braff thought, and songs that Zach Braff thought would be cool. Um, Nadia, if we have a second here, I want to share something. Sure. Uh, This is uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, the American uh, author, (laughs) had. Eight Already, rules. I hate this. I hate no, this. So eight much. rules for writing a short story. Okay. Uh, and he said these are important rules. You can break them. You know, good writers found a way to break them. Flannery O'Connor broke them. But if you're writing a short story, here are some of the key rules you want to have. Rule number one uh, use the time of the reader 
in such a way that the reader will not feel like their time was wasted. Oh, that's a good oh, one. Yeah, okay. And, and as I read each of these, kind of think about Garden State, you know. Oh, no, I'm thinking about <laughs> it, and I'm trying not to kick my computer across the room. <laughs> Rule number two, give the reader at least one character they can root for. Uh... Rule number three, <laughs> every character should want something, even if it's only a glass of water. Number four, uh, every sentence in the story must do one of two things, either reveal character or advance the action. Number, number five, this is one of my favorites, start as close to the end as possible. Oh my god. Uh, number six, uh, be a sadist, no matter how sweet and innocent your leading characters are, make awful things happen to them in order that the reader may see what they are made of. Interesting. Yeah. I, actually, I'm being very inspired as yeah. you're reading this. Number seven, hey, write to please just one person. Uh, you know, don't you? try to please everyone. That one I actually think Garden State satisfies. Yeah, definitely. Oh <laughs> and final rule, um which Garden State does not satisfy, give the reader as much information as possible as soon as possible. Uh, to heck with suspense, readers should have complete understanding of what is going on so that so much so that they could finish the story themselves if Roaches ate the last couple pages. Oh, um, okay. So all kind of like... How, uh, there was an improv teacher that used these when he was teaching people scene work when I was out in L.A. Uh, again, we know how much you guys love me talking about <laughs> taking improv class. Oh, um, it took a the, lot out of me not to groan at you because yeah. I'm like, I'm one of those people, so it's fine. Yeah. These are <laughs> these are just good rules for like things to kind of keep in mind, even if yeah. you don't follow them to the letter. Things to kind of keep in mind. For sure. And Braff, uh, Braff followed <laughs> maybe one of these rules. The other thing to kind of start talking about the year 2004, and I hate to do this, but we need to talk about Dave Eggers again. Why? You've already dropped Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> the thing about Dave Eggers is <laughs> he was really big at this time. His breakout oh, yeah, book, yeah, which yeah, was yeah, a yeah. memoir, came out in 2000. It was about him when he was 23, his parents died, and he had to raise his eight-year-old brother. And is he that the, wrote what is that one a, fucking called? Uh, Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius uh, is the actual title. He oh my God. wrote a book in weird, semi-ironic, metatextual, like whatever, um, about, hey, death is all around me, and I feel very alone, and all these weird things keep happening to me. Then he started a website and a publishing company, which would have already been up and running by this time, called McSweeney's, which basically <laughs> published short stories by people who mailed them into the website, saying, I'm surrounded by death, and all these weird things keep happening to me. So, yes. this TV star, Zach Braff, who at this point had been on Scrubs for, like, three years already, uh, figures hey, I'm going to make a movie about how I'm surrounded by death and weird things keep happening to me. <laughs> it's uh, Nadia, what else was going on terrible. in 2004? Honestly, all of this is terrible. Uh, in 2004, <laughs> uh, I was in the thick of the emo movement. Uh, but So I, you know what? I was really proud of not knowing a lot about popular culture because I was so fucking indie which makes sense why i loved this movie so just, exactly wow i just really hate myself <laughs> uh okay 
So the top song and was... Sorry, I just yeah. want to confirm with everyone. Nadia and I didn't like this movie. We loved oh, this no, movie. Oh, no, I, I bought the DVD and we watched purchased it. purchased it, yeah. Watching it again as an adult felt familiar in that same way that you would watch a Disney movie. Like when I, like when I sit down and watch Pocahontas or Mulan... I have like a personal epiphany and I'm just like, yeah, like I remember why I'm here. And like, I love, I love cinema. <laughs> and I watched this and I was like, I was a fucking asshole. <laughs> okay. So let's harken back to the year 2004 where the top song was Yeah by Usher with Lil John and Luda. Uh, big movies at the time were Shrek 2, Spider-Man 2 and The Passion of the Christ. Made by probably Shudda's favorite friend, actor. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Mel Gibson. Friend of the show, Mel Gibson. Uh, this was also the year that the Livestrong wristband came to Oh, okay. And that's aged really well, too. Yeah, that aged well. Uh, this is also the year that the Flash Mob got very famous. Oh. So this says a lot about our society at the time. Uh, George W. Bush was Time's Person of the Year. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl news, Barbie <laughs> and Ken broke up that year. And uh, I Barbie, remember reading it was a about that. Big deal. And Barbie dated a guy named Blaine for a couple of years, but then Ugh. she kicked him to the curb and got back with Ken because everybody was pissed. <laughs> Barbie, the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Uh, you, you know, I was trying to think of who the first Manic Pixie Dream... I know we have a whole section of the show set aside for Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I was trying to think who the first one was, but you're right. It probably was Barbie. <laughs> it probably was. Uh, I, I think physically, but we can go back to, you know, cinematically, wh- who is the first yeah. Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Uh, it's pretty intense. But before we get to that, I just want to say that 2004 was a crazy year. You know, we were in the thick of... Uh, the War on Terror. All of us were obsessed with popular culture, which if you listen to our She's the Man episode and uh, I believe, what was the other one that we wa- Oh, uh, the uh, Bringing Down the House episode. Yes. Uh, you know, we were all just trying to not feel sad. But Zach Braff was just like, no, guys, we're going to feel real sad. It's and I'm gonna, sad time, guys. And I'm going to make it really, really horrible. <laughs> I forgot the details that made this movie so sad, and I can't believe someone was like, yeah, Zach, this is great. Let's, <laughs> let's go with this. You, you have to remember, not only was this film very successful, <laughs> but Zach Braff, uh, ten years later, would put up a Kickstarter to make another film and within a day get two million dollars from strangers to make basically another nearly identical movie you would think that he would have astronomical amounts of money from the toilet paper puppy he played on those commercials for 10 years scrubs is scrubs is on comedy central four times a day like that alone should be bringing you know he had to take our money so that he could make another movie about sadness that was, like, color-corrected and a little bit of a blue tone. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like, why do you have to spend your own money, bro? Like, or spend uh, our money. Spend your own money. You have a lot of it. Like, uh, the, Speaking of how much money he has. Um, <laughs> Horny this, boy Zach this, Braff. 
Yeah, this is our uh, this is the first movie uh, that we've reviewed that uh, was not in wide release, right? This was a festival movie. Right. This premiered this was a at Sundance. Sweetheart. It was an yes. indie sweetheart. Everybody yes. was so indie. It Everybody no- had bangs and sundresses. It was a nominee for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. Ugh. Fox Searchlight bought the film mm-hmm. for $5 million. The film cost $2.5 million to make. So right away, if you make a movie and somebody pays twice as much for it than what you paid to make it, right away you're successful. Yeah. The lifetime gross of this film is $35 million, so it actually made back its budget 14 times. Wow. A completely unqualified success story. Uh, Empire Magazine lists it as number 393 on their list of the 500 greatest films of all time. Wow. You know what? I just have to uh, make an addendum here. I know... (laughs) I know that already Zach Braff is 10 times more successful, maybe 100 times more successful than me right now. <laughs> While I sit in my apartment after going to a job I don't like. But <laughs> I would not feel comfortable putting out a movie like this and then knowing in 10 years that I would be so embarrassed. But I really don't know if he would be. But I am for him. There is absolutely zero chance he is embarrassed by this film today i know i know i know and i get probably thinks this is his magnum opus right i mean i'm calling myself out that i'm talking shit about someone who's so successful for making this movie but just like at what cost because this is so horrible to revisit at what cost is really that could have been a better name for the podcast i know honestly The other thing, uh, I want to talk about the TV that was on at this um, this year. Oh, I yeah. Said, I had said Scrubs had been on for three seasons. And by the way, the first, the first like, three or four seasons of Scrubs were really good. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm honestly not a big fan of Scrubs, but I was a big fan of Cougar Town. So I think I need to go back yes. and watch yeah. Scrubs. Which is the same uh, Bill Lawrence, right? Same yeah. creator. Yeah. I think that's just because I didn't like Zach Braff. Which is a totally legitimate critique of the show. But I'm going to go back and it'll be fine. By the time this airs, I'll have watched a few more episodes and I'll be able to talk about it fairly. But Scrubs (laughs) started in 2000. And in 2000, there weren't a lot of shows that were comedies that didn't have a laugh track, had a single camera rather than a multi-cam setup, and had the shins, uh, you know, playing at the end of an episode. Um, This show wasn't really a huge ratings hit, but it was a big influence in that sort of aesthetic. And you start to see other shows, um, whether they, you know, also kind of straddle the line with this drama, but also comedy thing. Um, in terms of, I'm thinking of like Aaron Sorkin's first show was Sports Night, which was around the same time, and that was also single camera, no laugh track. Um, or something like uh, Arrested Development, which was not uh, particularly dramatic, but also ditched a lot of the sitcom conventions and came a couple years after this show. This was also the first time uh, people kind of started talking about TV on the internet regularly. So in oh. 2004, I remember specifically watching Lost every week and then reading Jeff Jensen's column on that episode of Lost yeah. uh, in Entertainment Weekly. I would read AV Club reviews yes. after watching Lost. 
Yes. And so... Oh, uh, and uh, uh, Video Gum. Gabe Delahaye. Yes. Yes. The era of Gabe Delahaye. Friend of the show, Gabe Delahaye. (laughs) And that time it's meant non-ironically. Yeah, for sure. Well... I, I, when you, as you tell me about this, I didn't realize that Scrubs was kind of pioneering so much as far as influence of music. Mm-hmm. And I think it was definitely Zach Braff talking about his favorite stuff, which was also something that Adam Brody did on the OC. So like all of these actors. Another like contemporary he, of this show. Yes. Yeah. These indie boy actors who were like pining over whatever it was they were pining over but listening to the saddest music possible while doing it were like putting these indie bands on the map for these teenage girls mostly to become obsessed with and like this movie is not an exception to the rule it was like i don't even know how many girls had shins uh patches on their backpacks after this movie came out no i'm just i'm more amazed than anything that this era influenced music at this level yes i never thought about it do i crazy do i own colin hayes album yes (laughs) did i buy it because he's featured in four different episodes of season two of scrubs also yes (laughs) did i become obsessed with imogen heap after watching this imogen heap god did i Uh, listen to frou-frou in the backseat of my parents car and cry sometimes (laughs) yes Stacy had to like hold my hand last week and explain to me that Imogen Heap was in Fru Fru. That that's like the same, <laughs> the same oh, you voice. Didn't know I'm that? Like, <laughs> no, I had not pieced that together for some reason. You really are one of my favorite people because you're so open to learning about things. <laughs> I, I I really I really am. I want to talk about the film. I want to talk about how I felt watching yeah. the film. I want to talk about how you felt watching the film. I want to talk about feelings. Yes. Well, I'm looking at our outline of the show notes, and it says here, uh, breakdown, point A, fuck Zach Braff so much. <laughs> horny boy, Zach Braff. I just want to say that in, in recent history, Zach Braff has become a horny boy. and he is a, He is a thirsty young man. Thirsty young fella and he be commenting on people's instagrams this was pre-instagram okay so if garden state had come out on instagram you'd see a lot of memes i'm sure i'm kind of sad oh that i didn't God. find thank, any thank christ garden state did not come out after instagram uh, was a thing. oh, oh so many God. people would be wearing like patterned shirts that match walls and being like come oh, zach yeah. braff hashtag yeah. zach braff hashtag garden state uh but so Watching this now and knowing that he will comment on young girls' Instagrams that they're hot and stuff is just so creepy. <laughs> the way that he writes women, just so creepy, and it just clearly has never changed. Uh, but he is. He just boy. strikes me as such a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like, don't know. What, it, what are the odds, like, what percentage do you put it at that he gets Me Too'd in the next year? Oh, I'm sure it's going to be pretty high. You know, I feel like people who are also fans of Zach Braff were probably going to be me too Because they just learned really toxic messages from this movie. And I have actually compiled stories from women who have been treated as Zach Braff has treated women in his movies that he has written. And I'm every, happy to share them. <laughs> every, every theme of this movie is the wrong theme. It's just so bad. 
all of the takeaways in terms of relationships, in terms of mental health, in terms of emotions, like... Family, ev- friendship, love. It, it's all just it's skewed. so toxic. <laughs> it's so it bad. is so toxic. We need to, like, I will make... If I didn't have to, like, like raise a family i would quit my job and drive around the country and find every copy of this film and destroy it (laughs) well okay so i i really liked the premise as a child as a young child because 16 year old as a 16 year old child because i was planning on having a career as an actor <clears throat> and I was worried that my experience would be like Zach Braff's in the movies. And in my head, I thought, like, I don't want this to happen. I like that I'm seeing the worst case scenario of what my future could be. In the movie, Large Man, Large, I'll call him, because I don't like saying Zach Braff's name. Large is in Los Angeles. His life is very strange. And he's basically living a an unfulfilled life after having some success in it is not clear if he was in a movie or television in the in the, nobody all the characters say that he played a character but no one said if it was a movie or a or a television show so yeah. that that's completely up in the air so one small success but he's working as a waiter now right at a racist restaurant where they make him wear eyeliner so that he looks asian yeah that's yeah Okay. Uh, he 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 has nightmares about planes crashing and doesn't feel a thing. He has pills and pills and pills in his yeah, medicine so cabinet. He, his medicine cabinet is basically full of uh, a whole bunch of psych meds, notably lithium. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to get the impression from from these opening scenes that he is just just looking out at the world and seeing static and feeling nothing, while Coldplay's Don't Panic from their, I believe, debut <laughs> album, Parachutes, plays over the opening credits. Oh my god. Is that, did, was Coldplay famous before this movie yes. came out? Okay, good, okay. I didn't want Zach Braff to be, like, the reason. Because, like, Adam Brody Col- is basically why people were into Death Cab. Col- Coldplay was basically, like, the biggest band in certainly the biggest band in the UK for, like, three years already before this okay, movie good. came okay, out. Okay, good. It makes me feel better. I was yeah. just panicking. But anyway, uh, so so Large is just really unhappy and gets this call that his mom is dead and he has to go to the Garden State, New Jersey, which is... Originally, this movie was supposed to be called Large's Ark, and he changed it to Garden State. And then everyone was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> just, so he, can you give your movie a normal goddamn name, Zach? Yeah, and so he's like, sure, I'm going to name it after... I, I think... Uh, there is a very specific type of man who writes art about their hometown. They are pop punk artists. They are Zach Braff. Uh, and I think that's it. <laughs> it's like, fuck my hometown. And then there's an album about when they go back to their hometown after not living there. And then we're supposed to be like, I'm on board. And I just, I just like can't do it anymore. Enough. We get it. Uh, can we I, all don't want to go back I to our just... hometown. Can I just, you know, while we're on this, while we're in, in this really good emotional space, I want to uh, share this quote from Zach Braff about uh, about why he wrote Garden State. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, uh, quote. 
and and as I, like as I'm saying this, imagine like um, what's a Shin's tune? Imagine caring is creepy is playing in the background. Uh, quote. <laughs> quote. When I wrote Garden State, I was completely depressed, waiting tables, and lonesome as I've ever been in my life. The script was a way for me to articulate what I was feeling. Alone, isolated, a dime a dozen, and homesick for a place that didn't even exist. That was really good. Really good shins. Thanks, man. I hoped it was the right song because I mixed it up with the other one. No, that that was the correct song. Okay. See, I was a fan. <laughs> he's, he's miserable. We think he's, so he's not sad. really feeling anything. No, there's like all these weird, random ass scenes. Like, oh, he he parks his car, but there's a gas no- there there's a, a, a gas nozzle stuck in uh, his fuel tank. Whoa, that's weird. I guess he did that at some point. But he didn't uh, notice because he's just going yeah. through life numb. Uh, honestly, fuck this Coldplay shit. Opening credits song, <laughs> Numb, Linkin Park. Oh my god! Al- already this has gone so up a letter numb. grade. Oh my god, may Chester Bennington rest in peace because he could actually convey an emotion. Rest Zach in Breath peace. could learn a few things from Look, Chester. the emotion I remember most saliently from when I was 16 was being angry at my mom. <laughs> nobody... <laughs> conveys that better than Linkin Park. Oh, God. Oh, God. And Trust Company. Do you remember them? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I hover. <laughs> I was really into that. Oh. Anyway, so so Zach Braff is just so upset in Los Angeles, and uh, the I think I'm more disturbed by the opening sequence i actually looked away from my screen when it came up because i'm actually a very bad flyer but i forgot that he started the movie with a plane going down yes and people are completely shot of the interior of the plane as it's going down and everybody's losing their shit but zach braff is just sitting there completely numb which is like just so heavy-handed now well but do you get that it's a metaphor (laughs) <laughs> I think we all do. I think a tiny <laughs> baby watching that would be like, this guy's sad, but he doesn't feel a thing. Like, it's just so... It, he's just knocking us over the head with the fact that this fucking guy is just so, like, just numb. And, so and everything numb. around him is falling apart. And, you know, in his waking life, it's the same thing. You know, he's he doesn't have an acting job. Other actors want his job at this restaurant, and his boss is making him... Uh, know that by saying like if you're late again I'm gonna hire so and so from so and so Kansas and we're just supposed to be like okay like this is fine <laughs> sure this is how this is how like, we're getting exposition and I'm cool you've, with it you've given me no reason to like this character why should I care whether he I'm grooving to Coldplay I'm grooving yeah. to Coldplay it's fine so uh, he eventually goes to to New Jersey and his dad is like uh, who's the who's the guy from The Hobbit? <laughs> uh, Ian Holm, yeah, uh, who plays Bilbo Baggins in 
the Lord of the Rings film. So he plays I thought Old he just Bilbo. looked like Bilbo Baggins. I didn't know that he was the actor who played Bilbo Baggins. I think that's him. I'm going to check right now. This is going to be really mean. <laughs> I feel so hey, bad. Let me, let me be absolutely clear. IMDb is loading right now. If he is not Bilbo Baggins, I'm keeping <laughs> all of this in. <laughs> uh, no, it's him. It's him. Okay. Okay, good. I was just, I was going to actually just make a slight about the guy that he looked like Bilbo Baggins, but it actually is him. So No, it's actually him. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, but he goes to the funeral <laughs> and uh, the funeral's interesting. Like, again, there's there's kind of this mad rush during the funeral to cram in as many pretentious framing shots of large men by mm-hmm. himself as possible. Like whole crowd is gathered at the funeral. Largeman is standing by himself. He says hi to the gravedigger, who's played by Peter Skarsgård. The gravedigger is with his two co-workers. Largeman is standing in his own shot by himself. Uh, after the funeral at the at the like the after party at his home, his aunt is like, "I made you a shirt." He puts the shirt on. It matches the bathroom wallpaper. So there's this shot of him, which he would call iconic, uh, wearing the shirt. <laughs> he would call. Wearing the shirt and blending into the wallpaper. There was another shot when he was in the airport. He was walking past all of the sinks in the airport bathroom. They're automatic sinks. And as he's walking past them, he's setting them all off. Uh, there's no reason for the shot. It doesn't. Uh, advanced character cool doesn't advance shot, the plot. Man. It's just it's a, a cool weird, shot. random thing, man. Yeah, Isn't it? Like, We're like surrounded by all these, all this beauty that we don't understand. Jesus, it's Christ. so weird because it's like the faucets can sense me, but I don't sense myself. Oh, God, uh, the, da- <laughs> the dad's played by Ian Holm, uh, who is Bilbo Baggins, as we just uncovered. Bilbo, uh, Largeman, it clearly has not talked to him. In a long time. He has right. no idea what to say about no. his mom dying. Uh, his dad, as it turns out, is also his psychiatrist. Right. But can I can I just interrupt you here? I think you missed yes. a really uh, telling part of the oh, movie. Please. Is the the aunt, I'm assuming his aunt who was talking to yes. him, yes. Uh, was playing a very uh, offensive stereotype of a Jewish woman who yes. wants to guilt him into uh, doing what she says, or making him feel bad, making him feel worse than he does. There was a lot of things that she would say that was just like, yeah, because you never come and visit. Yeah, because you never did this. You never did that. The heavy-handedness of that was just, I thought, really like, I don't know, I thought it was really offensive because all of the women in general in this movie are played very shittily (laughs) and written very shittily, and that... uh, He's doing a disservice to his own people, and I feel like it's really offensive. But am I overthinking it? Because, I don't know. No, I was trying to look up uh, who that actor was. It's Jackie Hoffman, and Mm. she really does turn up the Jewishness a lot uh, for that scene to an extent that it starts to kind of be not okay, even (laughs) though we know the director is Jewish. (laughs) Yeah. They also mention Judaism later on in the movie. Yes. Uh, which you know, I I don't mind so much, but when it's when it's playing to its own stereotypes, it's like, dude, you're not doing anything good. <laughs> you're only perpetuating really bad assumptions that people already have. Please stop. Well, now, and Nadia, you haven't seen the screenplay I'm working on, but it's just it's just <laughs> me and my buddies, and we just make pizza all the time. Uh, it's just <laughs> us. We're like tossing dough up in the air. 
just like uh, that's just, so well, wild. That's so I'm wild because just... I'm working on a pilot about drug dealers <laughs> and maids that oh, I think is just really going to go far. I'm going to try to sell it to FX. Uh, sell it to whoever made that fuck-ass Jennifer Garner film that just came out. Uh, the fuck-ass? Yeah. Oh, Peppermint? Yeah, Peppermint. Yeah, fuck Peppermint! We, like, they ran the trailer for that before something Stacy and I saw, and we, uh-huh. like, both stared at each other after the trailer, like, who the, what the hell is that? This is the most <laughs> racist shit I've ever seen. You know seen. who greenlit it? The same person who green- greenlits uh, Garden State. <laughs> oh, really? It was They're, Fox Searchlight? Yeah, they were like, you know what? We really like these stereotypes that are damaging to an entire culture. Let's make this movie. Yeah. I was just... Uh, okay, now that I think about it, that joke I made about me and my boys tossing pizza in the air um, actually is a movie with Hayden Christensen. <laughs> <laughs> The Mystic Pizza sequel. <laughs> oh god, it's really uh, fun. We've strayed in a really fun way. Uh. <laughs> I, yeah, sorry. Okay, uh, Ian Holm is Zach Braff's dad. Oh, sorry, one last thing on Little Italy. I saw the poster, <laughs> and then I wrote what I thought the movie would be, and then I saw oh, the, the logline. Was one hundred percent correct? What was your logline? <laughs> The the, the, log, the log line was like all's fair and pepperoni and love or something like that. <laughs> it's so accurate. Starring Emma Roberts. Yeah, Emma Roberts. <laughs> it's the ant in that movie is the same ant, uh, same woman who played the ant in my big fat Greek wedding, and she's just playing the same character with oh, a different accent. Oh my god, I love that lady. She's so yeah. Good. No, she's great. She's an amazing comedic actress. Oh, they just uh, don't give and, her enough. <laughs> No. Let her do let her do A-list things, please. So this is a little Italy episode now. Yeah, okay. And uh so back to Garden State. Uh, Ian do we Holt. have to He's Zach Braff's dad, he's Zach Braff's psychiatrist, and he hates Zach Braff. That's really sad. I hate movies about men who hate their dads, and there's a lot of them, and this is just like just icing on the cake. This guy Every- his dad is such a villain. You know how, like, every song ever Clear ever played is about hating their dad? <laughs> uh, I've never, like, I like those songs, but I've never been like, I want this in movie form. Yeah, totally. And we have it, and it's awful. Well, it, it's an interesting dynamic because, uh, again, the heavy-handedness is just the main character here, and we're learning that uh, he, his father is resentful that Zach Braff doesn't come visit. But Zach Braff is resentful because we later find out that he was the one who sent him away. So there's clearly some sort of miscommunication, and the mom was this, like, talisman of their severed relationship. And now that she's gone, they have to face each other. This is what I feel like he's trying to convey. That that was actually really well put. Thank you. And I feel like... That was more thought, perhaps, than Braff put into the script. <laughs> uh, I was so, a film minor, so. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Zach Braff, uh, the gravedigger, Peter Skarsgård, his character's name is Mark. He invites Largeman. He's like, Largeman, we're having a party up at this up at our high school friend's house. You should just come. Because you know how, like, you keep going to house parties when you're 29? Yeah, totally. Uh, so, Zach Braff... 
finds his old motorcycle in the garage, super rando, uh, and then The Shins starts playing. It was actually the song you were humming a minute ago. Uh, I'm going to say for the second music cue, I'm going to say Everclear, uh, I will buy you a garden. Okay, okay. Ready? I will buy yeah. you a garden. Where okay, so now he's driving the motorcycle. Sound goes off. He gets pulled over. Uh, <laughs> I forgot and, the rest of the song. That's uh, fine. Uh, this is, by the way, um, I knew you would know both of those cues. <laughs> that, that is why we are friends. Uh, first and foremost, listeners, this is a podcast about friendship. Oh, uh, that could be a tagline um, for our show too. So uh, <laughs> he gets pulled over by a cop, and like this is actually the cop... probably the most accurate thing he wrote in the script. <laughs> yeah, was Jesus, this yeah. motherfucking cop who is just the worst cop who's fucking a guy? Piece of shit. Just yeah. power tripping, telling him like, "Put your hands on your head, motherfucker!" And I was just like, "Oh, okay, this is actually pretty real." Yeah, he's like, this is awesome, man. I get to have a gun, and if I get shot, I'm, like, rich. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's gross. This scene goes, what would you say, like, ten minutes longer than it should? Ten minutes too long. Uh, we learned that the cop is his friend from school who was a piece of shit in school, continues to be a piece of shit, but now a piece of shit in power. And this is where we kind of see Zach Braff coming alive. So... Already, he's one day off his meds. There are no withdrawal symptoms whatsoever, which makes no sense. Uh, no, you know, if, if you're on that level of medication, pumping as much lithium into your body as Zach Braff's character was in this film, and then just suddenly stop, feel fantastic. Right, you should be sweating at least. Like somebody should have <laughs> just like misted him with a little spray bottle or something, so that we could know. I was, I was, I was wondering. Oh, you know what? What is what is his character choice here? Where he's suddenly like smiling, uh, being concerned, showing some sort of emotion. But it happened almost instantaneously. As soon as he landed in New Jersey, he could feel things. And I think that that's stupid. It was very stupid. <laughs> it's extremely stupid. But what is stupider is the uh, party that follows, uh, set to. Uh, in the waiting line by zero seven uh and nadia i don't know if you caught this but the phrase in the waiting line is a metaphor itself (laughs) for how zach braff and his friends are currently living their lives oh i didn't know Uh, wait what was that song can you hum that one for me we should just play the uh, soundtrack. Do you believe in what you see? Oh. That one? Oh, I definitely know which one that is. That's the one I used yeah. to skip on the soundtrack. Yeah, no, that's the one. That is the one I skip too. Everybody skips that soundtrack. <laughs> it's track three. It's bullshit. Oh, that's um, terrible. Uh, well, they go to this uh, party because they were invited by a couple of grave robin grave diggers who were their, his friends from yeah. his youth as well. Yeah, that's uh, Skarsgård, find... yeah. Yeah, I think it's Sarsgard. I think you're mixing it with, uh, what's his name, Skarsgård? Oh, you know what I am? Fuck, okay. <laughs> the character's name is Mark. Yeah, let's just call him Mark. Uh, so Mark and some other fuck are uh, grave diggers for a Jewish cemetery, and they there's a scene where Mark is just taking jewelry off of the corpse and putting it aside, 
uh, large is looking at him doing it and doesn't say anything. There is a moment of like, this is wrong. But now somehow not this, this is the day after the cop pulled him over. I think he wasn't feeling things at this point. So at one point he was feeling things and now he's not. <laughs> I'm confused. Where are we Zach Braff? Did no one ask this when they were doing those pre- uh, previews? <laughs> Logically, yeah, no, this like, makes no sense. So anyway. There's no continuity checks. There's no notes process. Um, None at all. What I like at the party is... So first of all, the party is at a rich guy's house. One of the guys he went to high school with became super rich uh, and is an asshole now, but he has a giant mansion right. where he just throws big parties and invites like girls that are currently in high school over to make out with them. Right. Well, by um, the way, we're not explaining any of the plot. This is just what the movie is, because there is no plot. Yeah. We're not missing anything in the movie, guys. <laughs> if you're like, okay, but when are they going to start to talk about what actually happens in the scenes? These are the scenes. <laughs> uh, my favorite part You got part so of, close well, to two, the mic. It was so dramatic. <laughs> my favorite... My favorite part... So, okay, I... Like... Not a like. I understand you are not physically inside the microphone when I'm talking to it, <laughs> but I am acting like it. <laughs> so, uh, oh, it's so disturbing. He takes ecstasy at one point because mm-hmm. the best time to take ecstasy is a house party when everyone is sitting down. When you're coming down from lithium. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's a montage during which the captions on this film read, no audible dialogue or sound effects. Uh, They play Spin the Bottle. He makes out with one of the uh, hot girls. All this wild, crazy stuff happens, and Largeman doesn't know how to feel about it. He's in the waiting line, (sighs) so to speak. I hate this so much. At this point, I already hated it. I remember, I actually remember something the mm-hmm. first time I watched this film. Oh my God. I was watching it in my parents' basement because I was in high school. <laughs> and my mom was like down there folding laundry or something. Mm-hmm. And she was in there from the beginning of the film to this scene. Oh God. And at this scene, she was like, so is anything going to happen in this movie? <laughs> and then you were like, shut up, mom. And then you ran yeah. upstairs and started playing Linkin Park. <laughs> started playing Linkin Park's no. She doesn't yeah. get me. She doesn't get my art. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, that's funny because what I remember is, first of all, I, I knew for a fact that they were smoking weed because they were. I didn't know what the white powder was, which ended up being cocaine. That's I coke, didn't, yeah. I didn't know what that was. I also didn't know what the pill was with the happy face on it. That's X, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, what is he taking? I'm innocent and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean when you first watched <laughs> when it? When I yeah. first watched it, yeah. And and guys, I know I said that's X, like I'm a really cool person who does drugs. No! <laughs> Yeah, and you know what else I missed as a child? That those girls were underage. Yes. Uh, they he Zach Braff leans over and asks, uh, "How old are they?" And the guy says, "Old enough, I think." Are they legal? Yes, he says, "Old enough, I think." Yeah, and so I missed that, and I thought, "Oh, parties are gonna be cool when I'm older." Jesus. Christ. Everything's gonna be so. It continues on with this uh, weird 
fucking time lapse thing that he loves to use where he's he, sitting in one spot and everybody around him is moving doing completely like unnatural things like sitting upside down on a couch yeah uh, only about 20 percent of this movie is filmed in regular speed yeah uh, <laughs> everything else is time lapse everything else is either time lapse or super slow motion right that is color corrected blue Yes. Uh, it's it's really bizarre that nobody told him that he didn't need to just use all of the tricks he learned in film school in one movie. Like it's like you got to use a few at a time <laughs> because it doesn't it doesn't work. Who? Thank God for whoever the person was that said you don't need to do this in black and white. You can do it in color. <laughs> oh, you know that that someone existed. You know. You and then he's like, okay, somebody. okay, that's fine. I'm just going to make a little bit of a blue hue, and it's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, he wakes up the next morning on Mark's couch. He has balls written on his forehead because he's passed out on the couch. Because, of then course. There's, then there's a guy in a suit of armor in the kitchen. Clank, 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 It's clank. so random. Life is so Life random. Life is so random, Like, Tony? there's just stuff that happens. And, like, some of it's bad, some of it's death. The world is random and destructive. But then, sometimes it's just surreal, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyways, the guy in the suit of armor is Jim Jim Parsons. Zach Braff is boys with him in real life. I didn't uh, know that! Yeah. <laughs> so. Holy shit! Jim Parsons, you know what? I know that everybody fucking hates on the Big Bang Theory, but I'm going to tell you something. Jim Parsons is an incredible actor. I I actually really <laughs> liked it, but because everybody started to make fun of it, I had to stop liking it out loud and I would watch it secretly. It's not terrible. It's I don't not think terrible. It's, I, I don't think it's it great, because... but like I'll watch the reruns and it's fun. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The acting is impeccable. For what they do with the shitty writing that they have, they do a really good job. And I think, when, when is this episode airing? This, this one isn't coming out till like, November, I think. Okay, so I went to a taping to see our beautiful friend Rati Gupta play the character Anu, who is Raj's fiancé. And that's all we know so Rati, far. Rati, we love you. And we're proud of you. We love you. You were proud of you, and you're much more successful than both of us. Yes, so good job. But... <laughs> They, Jim Parsons is an incredible actor and gets the entire scene, I'm going to say three to four pages, in one take. Oh, wow. I have never seen anybody do that. I've gone to multiple multicam tapings and nobody has done it in one take. And he does it every single time. And so I am saying that Jim Parsons is an incredible actor. And, his, and he lists Garden State as his breakout role in his bio that you get in the taping. I, I'm trying to think if he'd been in anything before that. I guess he hasn't. He is, yeah. like, and and I agree exactly with what you said, though. The writing is shitty on Big Bang Theory. Um, but he always does a good job, and I actually like his character. But, okay, so Jim Parsons basically plays Sheldon Cooper without autism in this movie. And <laughs> maybe still with autism. <laughs> and uh, he is playing a medieval times knight. Yeah, and fucking Gene Smart who we know from our favorite movie, Bringing Down the House, where Hell she plays yeah. Steve Martin's wife. Yeah. Jean Smart is in this movie. She plays Mark, Peter Sarsgaard's mom, mm -hmm. who is fucking Jim Parsons. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's this weird scene that takes forever where Largeman, Zach Braff's character, Mark, 
Sarsgaard's character, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Parsons and Jean Smart are eating breakfast, and Jean Smart is, like, telling her son, like, hey, you should get into real estate, which leads to this awful line read of, I work my ass off every day burying dead people. I'm 26. Don't rush me. Um, and then... And then you look at his 30-something receding hairline, and you're like, this doesn't <laughs> sit right with me. <laughs> it's so... <laughs> Dumb. And then they just sit on Mark's couch and Gene Smart, like, goes into work. It's, oh, and also Parsons, like, Parsons leaves. The three, it, like, the three of them are, like, taking bong hits and watching nature specials for some reason. And then Gene Smart le leaves and she's like, hey, don't stay here all day. I took the batteries out of the carbon monoxide detector. It was beeping all night. Like, just this, just bizarre fruit salad of just <laughs> like, half-assed laugh lines and and like fucking, guess what nothing has happened nothing has <laughs> happened you just feel like your time is being wasted and if that is what braff is intending then hey a plus buddy but i don't think that's what you were going for in your autobiographical film yeah but guess what tony we don't have to suffer for much longer because we're about to meet the driving force of the film god sam natalie portman so he goes to his neurologist's office his dad refers him to a neurologist because he's been having these bad headaches ever since he stopped taking all of his meds um there's a seeing eye dog with a blind woman there and the seeing eye dog starts humping his leg which is you know life is random nadia like weird <laughs> like like some of it's some of it's bad like sometimes you know there's tragedy but then sometimes some stuff happens that's just like really funny you know like yeah. a dog humping your leg it's really funny it's like you uh, have to laugh you know like you have you to. have to like like life like is so i crazy. cry like, <laughs> like i cry but in between i laugh so yeah because like you have to laugh because if you're not laughing you're like crying if you're not laughing like what are you doing if you're not laughing <laughs> um so he's in the waiting room he's getting humped by this seeing eye dog and and then a fake ass natalie portman laugh happens <laughs> <laughs> nobody laughs at, at a dog humping a leg like that the, like what was she, what was her motivation just terror she's like he's gonna kill me if i don't do this i was <laughs> not focused <laughs> i was not focused on the fake laugh i completely missed that that was a very good natalie portman <laughs> fake laugh i was more focused on the fact that in her first page of dialogue she says the word retarded like 12 times yeah it's sad. She like recognizes him from recognizes him from his movie slash his, TV his, show. Yeah, his previous he, role where he played, I guess, a mentally disabled person. We never see it. We never hear what the thing is about. And she just is throwing out all these details and saying "retarded" over and over and over and over and over. She just every scene in this movie is three hours long, I know. which is an amazing warp in the time space continuum. We're like halfway the, through the movie at this point. The total film is only an hour 40. Um, but she's she this is I think this is where we should talk about it. She is uh the manic pixie dream girl of yep. this decade. Yep. Nadia, what's a manic pixie dream girl? I'm going to tell you because it is an it's an actual cultural phenomenon. It is uh something that was Hold on, I didn't get the name of the person. Let me get that. Uh, Nathan Rabin, I think, coined Nathan. the term, if that's who you're All looking right. for. Nathan Raymond. Rabin? Rabin. Rabin. 
Nathan Rabin. Fucking this guy. He went to see Elizabeth Town, which is another fucking horrible movie that I actually walked out of in the movie theaters, by the way. Oh, wow. I couldn't handle it, even though I loved Orlando Bloom. Uh, <laughs> basically, a manic pixie dream girl is a female character, usually female, but we'll talk about this later, uh, who exists solely in quote, the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. Uh, they help the men pursue their happiness, and the women generally are kind of uh, useless in some way. Like, they, they don't work, they don't really... Uh, Not gainfully employed, maybe trying to be an artist. Um, or they're sick. In some yeah. way, in this one, uh, Sweet November is another example. Charlize Theron's uh, character is terminally ill. Uh, that okay. that's really fucked up. Uh, so they their job is to save the man from his depression, and she sweeps them off their feet with like whimsy and she, so so many quirks. So many quirks. Examples of this, again, Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth Town. The earliest example is Catherine Hepburn in Growing Up Baby. Oh, that's really good. That's a really good one. I was going to say, of course, Diane Keaton in Annie Hall. Yes, and uh, even earlier, uh, Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, more contemporary, of course, uh, Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days of Summer. Hold on. I will argue that that movie is about deconstructing the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Okay, then counterpoint Zoe Deschanel <laughs> in M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. <laughs> I never saw that, so I don't know. Uh, Kate Hudson in Almost Famous. Uh, um, Alaska in John Green's novel Looking for Alaska. Yes, uh, oh yes. Lindsay Lee Williams in John Green's novel uh, An Abundance of Catherines. Uh, Margot Roth Spiegelman in John Green's novel uh, uh, Paper Towns. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Augustus in John Green's novel, The Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> oh, we should just have a John Green podcast. Uh, oh, that oh. was what I suggested. <laughs> uh, Daryl Hammond in Splash. She's a magic manic pixie dream girl. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. one. Uh, so th they're plentiful. It's usually scripts written by men. Uh, the... The, the examples of dudes being manic, manic Pixie Dream dudes, again, Fault in Our Stars. Somebody wrote an article about Ben Wyatt on Parks and Rec. Because uh, his that's, whimsy... That's an interesting one. Yeah. His whimsy and uh, general nerdiness kind of don't interfere with Leslie Note being the hero, and he helps her become who she wants to become. They Same goes for Chris, who ends up marrying Liz Lemon on 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That is, I, I didn't think of it that People way. People are arguing that. It's very strange. Uh, so basically, it's <sighs> perpetuating a really toxic idea that women are meant to serve men in the sense that, like, they could be super depressed, but if they get a girlfriend, they'll be fine. And, like, bonus points if the Manic Pixie Dream Girl girlfriend is, like, super whimsical and weird. Yes. Because it teaches him how to live and all of the many wonders that, that life holds. Yeah. The other thing I always notice with Manic Pixie Dream Girls is, you know, you say they're usually not gainfully employed. You say, like, they only exist to kind of advance the main character's right. uh, purpose and needs. Um, they're also almost always insanely hot. <laughs> uh, Definitely. And, like, 
that's another kind of toxic thing that's perpetuated. I'm thinking of John Green in particular. I'm coming for you, John Green. Yeah, piece fuck of you, shit. you piece of shit. Just, just <laughs> wait till the Paper Towns episode. It's coming. Oh, God. Uh, Is that a comedy? So, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, we're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, one of the funniest things is I actually yeah. looked up How to Be a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, and there is a WikiHow guide. <laughs> be, it's written tongue-in-cheek, but it actually is pretty legit. Yeah, but it's like, it's not just that, you know, it, 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 the, the John Green novels is like, this person is always whimsical and quirky, and they're super hot. Um, fall in love with them at first sight and they're like extremely damaged emotionally very damaged uh but according to WikiHow, this is how you become a manic pixie dream girl you have to be optimistic they're not cynical they're the opti they're the opposite of it they are bubbly high on life and positive at all times they are positive does sam fall into that trait well you know what here's what i'll say i'm not ready to answer yet okay okay step two Embrace quirkiness. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl has been described as adorably daffy. She's bubbly and a little bit goofy, but always in an endearing way. So be, be free-spirited. Be spontaneous. Be impulsive. Sometimes to a fault. It's okay. They'll forgive you. Uh, endearing is a sliding scale, but otherwise I, I would say <laughs> that she, she meets this. Yes. Okay, step number three. Have a creative streak. Manic Pixie sure. Dream Girls are usually very artsy. They're creative. They have... Uh, let's see. It says, which makes sense because of their verbal abilities and their metaphorical minds. They're good at music, painting, writing, or art. They aren't artists themselves. They like to listen and watch other people be creative. Uh, okay, number, uh, part two. I, I feel like that's perhaps less applicable to this particular character. Well, I mean, in a sense, we'll go back to it at the end, but she does say something at the end that kind of proves that. Okay? So this, these are the okay. steps that you need to take. This is part two. Once you've become these things internally, now it's time to channel them towards a man. Uh, the first step is to love a stuffed shirt hero. It's fairly common for a manic pixie dream girl to focus on a love interest who is less free-spirited than she is, especially a man who is brooding, but soulfully deep inside Sam? Yeah. Sam? This is I, Sam. I, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Step two, try to help the person you love. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl's key role in many films and TV shows is to help a male love interest come out of his shell. This might sound sexist, but that's probably why some have criticized the trope as such. So, I mean, she helps him by, you know, going along with him on his adventures, uh showing him that there's other ways to have family uh what else uh showing him that you know he doesn't have to be afraid of his feelings like oh yeah feelings if you want to if you want to cry like that's okay <laughs> like sometimes life makes you cry so like, it's not always it's not always sometimes it's fun sometimes it's happy sometimes there's things to celebrate but yeah sometimes there are tragedies yeah and you know what you have to laugh no, like, I I laugh. Like, I laugh, but in between, yeah, I cry. For sure. <laughs> well, okay, so if you, once you're done doing that, now you got to bring on the style. you got to have the oh, Manic God. Pixie Dream Girl style. you got to wear vintage clothing. you got to be a little bit punk. you got to be retro. Toss a beanie on your head. Uh, we're, what we're, about, a bl- <laughs> we're a blazer. What about, like, 
for headphones, uh, are earbuds okay, or do you have to have giant cans? Oh, no, no, no. You have to have the earbuds with, like, the silicone unicorns on them. <laughs> like, or, or, like, elephants. It, it can't be just the, the regular ones. You have to, you know, okay. show your personality. And after you're done, you have to go get bangs. Step two is get bangs. <laughs> Short hair with bangs is the most common style worn by a Manny Pixie Dream Girl. <laughs> Uh, you also have to listen to alternative music because they're not going to listen to mainstream pop. You're you're too quirky for that. You're too cool to be mainstream. It has to be super underground. You have to not follow trends. You have to listen to what the outliers are listening to. <laughs> so just as a side note for everyone listening, immediately before we started recording, uh, right before Nadia uh, pinged me on Google Hangouts, uh, I was playing some 41's greatest hits album. <laughs> yes, which is perhaps not exactly the same. You as can't what be. This article you has can't be a manic, manic pixie dream boy. You just can't. You can't. No, you, that's really. You can't be too high maintenance. That's the last step. You know, you if you're too high maintenance and fussing around with your style and caring about what people think, you just can't do it. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is they don't they don't care about what other people think except the main character without whom they would never even exist or matter. No, and you know all of the bad things about them wouldn't exist because like they don't exist when the main character's around. They change them for the better. It's a whole like object permanence thing. It's like if the main <laughs> character is facing the other way, does the manic pixie dream girl even really exist? <laughs> Well, the sad part is, unfortunately, that I, I set out a question onto Facebook and I asked, help our podcast. I want to know, in the dating world, has a man ever treated you as a manic pixie dream girl? How and what was your response? And I got a really overwhelming amount of responses from women who have been treated like manic pixie dream girls. I'm going to share just a few that I thought were extra disturbing. Oh, uh, the first one, these are all anonymous. I don't really want to give away anything just in case one of those guys are listening. Who knows? Uh, this is a, a, a friend of mine who said, I dated a guy briefly who was obsessed with my short hair and would comment about how much he loved short hair. He'd comment a lot on my fashion choices and then said that I was one of the thickest girls he'd ever been with and that it's a shame that I never played sports because he liked girls who played sports. She replied that she was in ballet until she was about 18, but he said that didn't count. Uh, because it wasn't a sport. Um, God. Uh, he would try to make her into some kind of fantasy, and when she couldn't achieve it, he stopped talking to her and started dating other Manic Pixie Dream Girls that he would do the same thing with, and so on and so forth, and he still remains single to this day. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, another one, unfortunately, this one's actually a little dark, so we're going to end with that one. Uh, this individual had a partner who very clearly, this, this individual it has a chronic illness, and this person in a diary said that he wanted to basically sweet November her. He wanted a partner that he would eventually lose because of her terminal illness and wrote about it oh in a journal. Oh, my God. Manic Pixie Dead Girl is what she called it. Oh, my uh, she, God. Yeah, so it was literally written in his journals that he fantasized about her death the week that she met him. And that's why he f 
basically courted her because eventually he wanted to have that story and that experience. Motherfucking. Okay, so, 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 so these guys who are writing these women are really creating a toxic culture of men who believe that women are like basically only existing to be tragic uh, stories that they can tell, I guess, or just someone to help them become a better, more well-rounded person. Don't ever, guys, I don't give advice very often. Don't ever do something because you have a screenplay in your head. <laughs> Uh, I also want to point out that many of the women that responded to me have had the same phrases. They don't know each other. The same phrases said to them by men. The They are, I can't believe you're real. Uh, I've never met anybody like you. You're so different. Or versions of that, like you're Ugh. so unique. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, you're not like other girls. Yeah. And these are guys who probably loved and jacked off to Garden State. <laughs> There's, okay, so... There's a lot I, to be said here. Like, look, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say this next sentence, and I don't want you to judge me, okay? Oh, okay. There's not a lot here that I think a reasonable person could jack off to. <laughs> Except for that scene in the hotel, where all the men are looking through uh, peepholes yeah, in hotel I rooms. Yeah, uh, I guess. I don't fucking know. Okay. It's all bad. Basically, <laughs> guys, we're like 20 minutes into the film. Natalie <laughs> Natalie Portman, Sam, is like, hey, hey, stranger in this waiting room, how are you doing? Uh, and Zach Braff's like, what are you listening to on your headphones? It's, you know, it's very, uh, again, what Braff considers iconic mm-hmm. uh, line, where she says, I'm listening to the shins. Have you heard of them? He says, no. And she says... You gotta hear this song. It'll change your life. I swear. That is... That was one of the things that, like... I remember that being a a clip in a... Like, a clip art in a magazine. Like, for alternative press or Uh, something. I may have given a girl a mix CD with that written on it. No! Tony! doesn't doesn't matter i may or may not have listened to the shins only so that i could say that i listened to the shins because of this movie even though i did not fucking like the shins (laughs) um so new slang by the shins starts playing Mm. again if i'm substituting tracks i would go with the hell song by some 41 (laughs) and uh you know there's this scene which lasts so fucking long where he's just like listening to the song and he looks at <laughs> her she smiles at him uh, and he asks why she's at the neurologist's office she says she's waiting for a friend uh but uh she's lying and he mm-hmm. figures that out pretty quickly right um largeman sees the neurologist and then uh and the neurologist has so many degrees that one of them is actually on the ceiling of his office. It's so wacky. It's I mean, so wacky. It's like, it's like there's life, but then sometimes life just gets wacky, you know? <laughs> it's so it's, random. I, just, I don't want to be alone this evening. I just, <laughs> like, you don't even have to say anything. You can just stay here, and oh that would be okay. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so basically, here's what we learned. Um, 
Largeman has been on a billion different psych meds. He has been on lithium since he was 10. Uh, his dad, who is a psychiatrist, put him on it, and he is thinking about taking a little vacation from his meds, which is not a really good idea. No. And then the ne- the neurologist talks for some reason about how he can't get an erection. Um, <laughs> Largeman says he's off his meds but doesn't feel that stressed or anxious. Uh, he gets a CAT scan while the shins start playing again. Um, and then... Uh, then he drives his bike home and picks up Sam on the way home. He finds her walking alongside the road, and he's like, Hey, uh, I can give you a ride uh, here on my bike. And Sam's like, I'm not going <laughs> to ride in the sidecar. Sidecars are for bitches. Uh, and then uh, and then Largeman's like, Hey, I got to go visit my rich friend. And then you can be there so that I can lie and get out of it when I want to. And she says... In earnest, an actual line of dialogue that was written on a script for this film, which was then shot and made into a movie. Wow, that's pretty damn random, Andrew. Uh, she said it. She said it. She said it all. Like, here. so the thing about theme in, in film <laughs> is you, if you do the film right... You don't need to just say the theme as a line of dialogue in the film. <laughs> this is just so painful. It's so painful. It's so bad. Uh, should we talk about Sam's house? Yeah, so Sam's house is, uh, she lives with her mom. She lives with her, uh, I guess, like... stepbrother. I don't there, know. So there's like, I'm, I was overstimulated in yeah. this scene. Yeah, there's hamster wheels everywhere. There's hamster... Massive hamster tube rig. There's three yeah. Dobermans, mm-hmm. which immediately attack Andrew. Right. Maybe it's two Dobermans. Who gives a shit? Who gives? And then she has a brother, a stepbrother, who is black from Africa and talks like, <laughs> like Nick Mullen doing the Africa guy bit yeah. in Come Town. Yeah, I say black like the way I said titties in the last episode. <laughs> black. It's okay to say people are black, Tony. That's what they—that's what they're called. So he's like, I'm an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> that is—that is how I say Italian. Italian. Anyway, <laughs> the bro—the brother's name is Titembe. Titembe. Uh, and he just showed up randomly after they gave him money for years uh, after, you know, watching one of those commercials that was like, for just $10 a month, you can sponsor a child in West Africa. Uh, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, I hate it. There's a Christmas tree in the corner just of the room for no reason because they just never took it down. I hate this movie so much. Well, yeah, because they so they took much. it down. If they took it down, you know, like, they didn't. it wouldn't be random. But, like, it's fall now. Might as well leave it up, you know? Might like. as well leave it up, man. Look, we do things a little differently in this house, okay? But we love each other. Like, and that's the priority. And it's like, as long as there's love, like, it doesn't matter. Like, love doesn't have a season. Right? <laughs> it doesn't... It doesn't... I'm really upset by how easily I can slip into this It's character. really good. I really love it. Oh, it's too much. It's too much. Well, so, okay. Hey. So, so, so... Sam is a pathological liar. We learn this yes. over time. 
she, by the way, she's only a pathological liar for, like, this part of the movie, and then we forget that that happens. Um, but her mom is like, you want to see her? Wait, is this when she does the ice skating, or am I jumping ahead? No, that's later, but it doesn't okay. matter. No! <laughs> You want to talk about ice skating now? We'll talk. I'll skip the next 40 minutes of the movie. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Basically, Sam has epilepsy, and she can't do the things that she normally would have done. The heavy-handedness here is saying that her disability has taken away her identity, basically. And Which is funny because her identity is an alligator because they couldn't get Natalie Portman to ice skate in this video So they had to put her in an alligator costume and like some stunt woman was being an ice skater Just just a scene of them and again, we're not even going in order at this point I don't care. There's a scene. There's a scene of them Zach Braff (gasps) Sam Sam's mom and Titembe uh, watching uh, I, I actually said that with more of an Italian accent than I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> They're watching a video of just this child in a full alligator mascot costume ice skating. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's just random. It's completely so random. random. And then the video ends and they applaud and the lights go out because they're hooked up to a clapper. <laughs> uh, I like that. That was the one part where I was like, oh, that's funny. Is uh, that bad? Does that make me stupid? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, but uh, in any event, that was a little out of order. When Zach Braff goes to Sam's house for the first time, they hang out in... They, they bury her hamster, one, because uh, her hamster died. Mm-hmm. Uh, they And then Largeman's like, I, I feel like I've been going to a lot of these things lately. Funerals. Uh, <laughs> and then... And then uh, Zach Braff reveals that his mom died by drowning in the bathtub uh-huh. because she is a she was a paraplegic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know yet how she became a paraplegic. That is another reveal later in the film that I also uh, get mad at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, my favorite thing, uh, which you sent me a gif of this morning, uh, <laughs> is they're sitting in Natalie Portman's bedroom, and uh, Natalie Portman, Sam, as the character's name, says, you know what I do, apropos of nothing, by the way, just yeah. no segue into this, you know what I do when I feel completely unoriginal? Uh, I do something no one's ever done before, and she stands up and she like does a weird little dance. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, she's like, you just witnessed a completely original moment in history. This is a real movie. Again, nothing has happened. There's no, like, where was it? There was no inciting incident. There's nothing happening except that we're learning about how to get in touch with our inner unique spirit. It's like, the thing, but not This is who we were born to be. Like, we're all unique. That's the thing. It's like, I want to do something completely original no one's ever done before. Yeah, we all want that. But we are that. Like, we are something completely original. Have we been, like... Totally living the wrong way. (laughs) Have we, like, we need to take time and reflect on how we're not original people. And you know what? I'm going to do something right now that I've never done before. (laughs) Oh, wow. I feel really in tune with my soul. You sounded like the scene in Bringing Down the House where Steve Martin does the Asian guy voice. <laughs> <laughs> no! 
from... complete and utter torture and nothing is fucking happening in this movie. Colin Hayes, I just don't think I'll ever get over you, is playing in the background <laughs> at some point. Nothing's fucking <laughs> happening. He goes back to Sam's house. He watches her dog jerk off. This is where we watch an old video of Sam skating where he learns he's epileptic. The African brother is dusting for prints because he's like, who's been pissing on my GameCube? And that was really good. Thank you. Uh, why are we doing this? Uh, then, then Zach Braff, uh, Largeman, and Sam go to a bar, and as they're leaving Sam's house, the brother is like, peace out, player. Uh, and then, because it's, it's funny, it's funny because he's from Africa, but he talks like one of those hip-hop gentlemen. So, uh, so uh, he goes to a bar with Sam, and that's where Sam says, if you can't laugh at yourself, life will seem a whole lot longer than you'd like. Uh, this is also where she says, I'm not saying I don't cry, but in between I laugh and I realize it's important to not take anything too seriously. At this point, I'm like, I'm, just, I'm so mad. Oh my I, God. I'm so mad. Um, and a largeman reveals that he did not cry at the funeral and he hasn't cried in years. So we learn that the only thing in this movie that is about to pass for a plot <laughs> is that we're going to see... Largeman cry before the end of the film. This it's is Chekhov's tears. Chekhov's tears. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. This is why we're friends. We're so nerdy. Uh, and then. Oh God. Uh, yeah, Chekhov's tear, guys. Well, we got you know jokes. We I'm did. really upset, Tony, that you missed the one crazy thing that Natalie Portman said. That is just a nail on the head. They're standing outside of her house, and she's about to open the door to her house. And I don't know what is said. Okay, I just don't know. But Natalie Portman just goes, I'm weird, man. (laughs) And that is actually a gif that is readily available on all platforms where you can insert we'll, again. We'll, we'll put it on we'll put it on our Twitter for sure. Um, uh, oh uh, by the way, I just got a text. I just got a text of another woman uh, who has a manic pixie dream girl story. I have to interrupt because this one's really good. Oh please, please. From a friend. Uh, not me, but I get different stereotypes, she says. But my friend literally had a man take notes on her behavior in a museum and write a screenplay about her. Oh, that's the good shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He came to visit her uh, for Valentine's Day. They met online. Uh, They went on their Mm -hmm. first date to the the museum, and he took notes on her the entire time. And uh, he called them lovers. I call people... Terrible? I call people lovers sarcastically. Um... (laughs) When I want to upset them. <laughs> no, but he genuinely wanted. Uh... She called. She called the movie Mumblecore. Well, I would hope so. I think that's great. Anyway, I'm um, sorry to derail the conversation, but I'm getting these stories continuously throughout no, the day, as, and I'm just getting more they, and more disturbed. As they come, I would much rather hear these stories than talk <laughs> about this film. Oh uh, God, this toxic, toxic film. They do go to a house party from the bar because they just either are at a house party or at Sam's house or at a bar right. at any at any given point in the film. It doesn't matter. Because that's where random people hang out, man. Like, they don't want to... so much. They don't, like, do things. They're just, like, ready for, like, when life starts to happen. 
But it's so crazy. Like, because we knew each other as kids, right? And now we're like... Adults. We're adults, but like, we still feel like kids in a lot of ways. You know? <laughs> you realize the house you grew up in uh, isn't your home anymore. Right. Like, that idea of home is yeah, gone. It's and, gone. And you start to feel homesick for a place that doesn't even exist. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe it's like this rite of passage, you know? Maybe that's all family really is. Yeah. A group of people that miss the same imaginary place. So yeah. that's something uh, Largeman says uh, when he's at this house party and they're <laughs> sitting in the jacuzzi at this point. I might as well just watch him jack off on camera. Yeah. Like, uh, they're at a... And then we cut to um, uh, Largeman, uh, Sam, uh, Mark, the gravedigger... And then the rich guy who owns the house, who is apparently considered a significant character in the film, uh, they're sitting in front of the fireplace. He's technically a POC, by the uh, way. I, I looked up the other actor. He's a Puerto Rican actor. So that was a pretty Oh, okay. That pretty so that's, that's two. Then. That's two. Yeah. Um, uh, no, three. The lady at the waiting room. She is definitely Latina. You're right. You're he, right. Uh, surprisingly, okay, so the, movie... the worst movie has almost most... POC representation that is somewhat normal. So. <laughs> Thank you, Zach Braff. So, Zach, Zach Braff, champion for equality. Nah. Uh, thank you. Um, this is where we actually learn kind of some more of Largeman's background. Uh, his parents sent him to boarding school, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, his dad blames him for paralyzing his mom and thus blames him indirectly for the death of his mom. Right. Right, because he pushed his mom, and, and and instead of Sam being like, this is fucked up, she just says, wow, you're really in it right now. You're definitely in it and right now. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, like, when I'm sitting there and, like, working stuff out, my mom says, you're really in it right now. And, like, you're really in it right now. And he's like, yeah, I'm really in it right now. And this is the movie that made millions they of say- dollars. <laughs> They say that line so many times really in, uh, in the one scene. But he was mad at his mom. He pushed her. She fell over a dishwasher. She was paralyzed. That's why he got sent to boarding school. That's why his dad put him on lithium. And that's why he's miserable. Yeah. Well, there you go. Hey, Nadia. Hey. I, I can tap dance. You want to see me tap dance? Oh, my God. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl can't have a serious conversation because she has to be optimistic. She has to uplift. So what if you catch me? <laughs> when would you laugh? <laughs> That's the music cue for it's that scene. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, okay, honestly, I don't even know what the fuck happens with the rest of the movie. They go to some sort of, like, big abyss, the big, like, quarry or something, and then there's a necklace, and then it's over. Yeah, that's basically it. So, like, they go to... Basically, Mark is like, hey, we gotta run an errand. And then the errand is, like, this weird, like, LucasArts-era computer game <laughs> series of tasks uh, where Mark has to trade different objects. And eventually they end up in a quarry in a boat in a, in a boat that's aground in a junkyard in a quarry the guy inside the boat is the guy from the first 10 minutes of michael clayton who hit a pedestrian and left the scene of an accident oh my god uh, 
and and uh, which by the way, great movie, guys. Watch that instead of this. Yeah. And and uh, and he's like, hey, Mark, I tracked down the piece you're looking for, um, and so he give he he trades and deals in antique jewelry, I guess, while he's here, and and then he's like, I suppose it is. Like he lives in this junkyard. This guy, Michael Clayton guy, with his wife and his baby. He says. I suppose it's odd that we live down here like this. I guess I like the idea of discovering something, of doing something completely unique that's never been done before. Bing, 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 bing. That's the hammer nailing you on the head. Bing, 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 bing. And starts to rain. Largeman, Sam, and Mark leave the boat. They say to the guy, hey, good luck exploring the infinite abyss, referring to the quarry. The guy says, hey, you too. Referring to life. <laughs> uh, we also forgot to mention one of the most iconic lines said by Peter Sarsgaard, uh, oh, yeah. where he says, don't tease me about my hobbies. I don't tease you about being an asshole. I remember yeah, that, that is, being uh, a really big one on AIM away messages. <laughs> on a bunch of guys' uh, away messages. Mine were like Weezer lyrics, which is problematic for completely different reasons. <laughs> It's it's interesting. So uh, the the culmination of all of this, again, nothing happens in this movie, is that Zach Braff is just like I, I'm really in it right now. The and, only living boy in New York. And I'm gonna go to the top of this tractor. The only boy in New York. And I'm gonna scream, because that is the only way that I can express myself after years Dude. of being on lithium. He's he's feeling something he's, he's and like it. he's really in it. Like actor Dennis O'Hare said, <laughs> "We're exploring the infinite abyss, and maybe he's right, we but we have it. each other. But we have each other, and you know what? We have to laugh because if we're not laughing, we're gonna cry. And well, so, sometimes we cry, but like sometimes we cry, but in between, but in between, in between we laugh. But guess what? Natalie Portman joins him at the top of this tractor, and so does Peter. and so does Mark. Mark." Here he comes, and then they scream. They all yell into the quarry. And this weird, like, zoom-out shot happens that's, like, really strange CGI or something. (laughs) Takes me completely out of the moment. I want every camera trick in this film. I want zoom-outs. I want slow motion. I want fast motion. I want time lapses. I want color tints. We find out that the necklace that they were looking for, or the, 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 what is it? package it's a locket it's like a yeah it's like a game and it was his mom's favorite necklace oh my god yeah this is turned into an asmr video (laughs) all all of our podcasts all of the episodes are technically asmr if you're just not very sensitive so (laughs) the necklace necklace is what mark stole the necklace from his mom's grave because he just robs all the graves right uh, and then he's like, shit, I should probably get this back. Um, I should probably get this back for my friend. So he just gets him the necklace back. Um, it, by the way, they yell into the quarry, and then Largeman and Sam kiss. Right, in uh, front in of slow Peter. Motion, which is my favorite, yeah, which is my favorite scene because Zach Mark Peter Sarsgaard's character. <laughs> well, first of all, yeah, Zach Braff can't kiss for shit. Uh, it's in slow motion, which is dumb. Simon and Garfunkel is playing an obvious nod to, like, I've seen The Graduate. And then 
Peter Sarsgaard is just standing there watching them kiss, which is the funniest thing. The direction me. is just uh, questionable, I guess. But, okay. So, whatever. This fucking movie needs whatever. to end. Okay, so, what's his face? Fucking large. He needs to get out of here. He needs to go back to L.A. to his life because he can't stay here because this is where he escaped from. And... Sam is crying. She's just like, no, like, we need each other. I haven't lied in two days. I completely forgot that she was a pathological liar until she brought it again. And then he was like, is that true? And she's like, no. Ah, callback. Hilarious. Do you you get that it's a laugh line, though? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure. He also reconciles with his dad real quick. Oh, yeah, I forgot. uh, which Which is like... I just wanted us to all be happy again. When were we all happy, Dad? Yeah. I was a boy, and somebody made a shitty latch. I'm done taking those drugs. I've been numb to everything in my life. I want it to be okay with you for me to feel something again, even if it's pain. Just the most toxic, (laughs) awful message about mental health. Just really bad. I have another story. Just came in. Just came in. (laughs) All right, I have friend coming in who says that uh, a guy who clearly very very clearly needed to be medicated because he had a mental illness that interfered with his life didn't want to take medication because quote medication would mean I won't be able to feel things and that was inspired by this movie and uh, they definitely broke up (laughs) you know um, you know if guys if you want to feel things here are some great ways to feel things. See a doctor. <laughs> get on an accurate dosage of get, an antidepressant. Get it. Get a diagnosis. <laughs> Have that doctor uh, prescribe you a course of medication therapy or some combination of the two. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Do th- do those things and stick to them. You'll find that all of a sudden you're getting a regular amount of sleep. You're able to hold down a job better. You're eating better. And hey, those feelings are coming back because you're living a healthier life because you're under someone's care. (laughs) It's really too much. The idea that getting treatment for mental health prevents you from feeling something is bullshit that we see in a lot of film and TV uh, written and, by men uh, who are horrible to everyone around them who are in stories about how they're fucking horrible to everyone around them who are getting arrested yeah. because they're horrible to everyone around them. We are living in a toxic culture. It just, just it, We're putting out art that's toxic and we're consuming art that's toxic. toxic and it's just, it's just, it's a vicious cycle. Men should not be in charge anymore. We're leading I'm the actually, way. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Anyway, so Large gets on the plane, and then he Rosses Sam, and he gets yes. off the plane. Well, he Rachel's Sam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make sense of that. Yes. Well, it doesn't matter. He got off the plane. and then, He got off the plane. And then he's like, this is so new. This is the start of something big. This is my big face. 
on the screen. This is too much of a close-up. He's got a lot of face going He's on. got a lot of face. He's um, like, this is the start of something big. And Then we, we start do doing, like, s- slow fades between Largeman and Sam and, like, other characters that I didn't think were very major characters. Yeah, we're seeing, like, where are they now after, like, a day. Yeah. And, and there's one. And then it's right over. before Largeman gets off the plane. I'm sorry. Right before Largeman gets off the plane, he's sitting in the plane. And then he looks directly at the camera. Well, yeah, it's a callback to the beginning when he was looking directly at the pl- pl- the camera when the plane was going down. Jesus Christ. So he's getting off the plane before the plane is going down. I see what he's trying to do. Yeah. But, like, the plane didn't really go down, dude. <laughs> no. But, like, I get the metaphor, man. I get it. Okay? I get it. I get it. So they they kiss. Frau Frau is playing... Frau Frau? Is that what it's called? I thought it was Fru Fru. I, I don't fucking know. Uh, Drink up, baby, down. Zach Braff has nowhere to live. He has no idea how anything works. He doesn't have a job. They make out in baggage claim, and the camera pulls out. And the camera's still pulling out until we hit the refrain of the song, so Nadia, you can just keep going. I have no voice anymore. See, the thing is, Nadia, we're all broken. Like, we're all breaking down. But there's down. beauty in it. Man. There's beauty in it. Okay, we're on the same page. <laughs> we're totally in it right now. Um, I don't even want to do reviews for this film because I'm so mad. <laughs> but, uh, I I do want to just call out a couple things. Okay. Roger Ebert. Roger. Every review talked about how hot Natalie Portman was. Are you it's serious? That's so yes. sad. <laughs> Uh, Roger Ebert gave the movie three stars, writing for the Chicago Sun-Times. One sentence from that review, Portman's success in creating her character is all the more impressive because we learn almost nothing about her except she's great to look at and has some positive attributes. (laughs) That makes me upset. Mark Savlov of the Austin Chronicle uh, gave the film four stars out of five, Mm. uh, compared the film to The Graduate multiple times, uh, and ends the screenplay with, or ends the review with Laheim. Uh, <gasps> okay. J.R. Jones for the Chicago Reader uh, called the film a comic gem. Braff's affection for his misfit characters and skeptical takes on how people sell themselves short in America make make this, and this is my favorite review I've ever read, the truest generational statement I've seen since Donnie Darko. Oh my god, why? Why are they talking about Donnie Darko? Oh my god. Um, That also just... This is too much, man. This is too much. Uh, Ed Park of the Village Voice. Rest in peace, Village Voice. uh, Among the virtues of Garden State, Braff's triple threat debut... Oh, 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 fuck. Okay, alright, alright. Is it is its patient way with information, which I guess is one Is that way just like a nice way of saying that it's really slow? He loved this film. Uh, the review ends with like, Braff's naive romanticism is also lovely proof of the film's innocent heart. Mm. Uh, lovely? Innocent? Okay, so maybe no one over the age of 18 will buy the ending. But I'm protecting it. I like it. 
right. Do you want to know what Common Sense Media says? Of course I do. Okay, great. What parents need to know. Parents need to know that this movie has, ex- has extensive substance abuse. Characters smoke, drink, and take a lot of drugs. There are brief but explicit sex scenes and many sexual references, including a young man who is unhappy about his mother's affair with his younger man. With a, with a younger man, sorry. I'm, like, distracted because I'm fucking angry. Characters use very strong language and engage in risky and foolish behavior. There is a discussion of suicide and mental illness. One character is a thief. A strength of the movie is a positive portrayal of a person with a disability. Uh, there, there, uh, I don't know what to say about that. There is one kid review from a teen who's 14 years old written by user number, number Domino. I laughed, I cried, but not at the same time. This movie... <laughs> five stars. Like, I, I cried, but in between. <laughs> they basically, like, heard our podcast in they the just, future and then wrote this wrote review. They just wrote Natalie Portman's dialogue for their... <laughs> this movie was very good, and I thought the beginning spelling was a little iffy, but it just kept getting better and had some sad parts, a.k.a. hamster, and tons of funny ones. If you want something that will change your life, watch this or listen to some of the shits. <laughs> this is this is a this is a uh, <clears throat> this is a review written by an adult, written by user Lauren X Lame. The drugs portray a positive message. All right, this is one of my favorite movies. Yes, there are a lot of drugs, sex, and language, but the reason I would recommend it to a 14 and up is because that's the age kids are becoming someone, and that can be good or bad. This movie gives a great portrayal of the negative effects of promiscuity and drugs. This movie shows that he is better without drugs. He feels alive again because of love. I certainly think that's something. Fucking hate this shit. I certainly think that's something fourteen-year-olds could learn about. As far as the inappropriate things, just don't show it if you have a kid in that stage where they're going to repeat every curse word or sexual innuendo. This is written by a woman because her name is Lauren, but it could be written by like a really abusive, like thirty-two-year-old man. (laughs) (laughs) And guys. Listeners, we love you so much. We do. And we want to tell you that we skipped maybe 40% of the scenes in this movie. <laughs> we uh, really did. Oh, my God. Because, because just nothing fucking happens in this movie. And we loved it so much when it came out. We really did. I'm really upset because I want to go back in time and tell myself to love myself more. To have higher standards for the men in my life. To have higher standards for music. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I'm just gonna sing. All I would tell myself to put down the black eyeliner and go outside, get some vitamin D. Eventually, you'll develop a vitamin deficiency, and it'll be really tough. You're gonna have to take B12 and iron supplements. I was happy. Know that it's okay to be by yourself. And cultivate your own <laughs> interest. <laughs> oh God, it's all bad. It's all bad, buddy. It's all bad. You know, I I, I love this podcast because I get to hang out with you, but I just like hate watching really bad things. I hope that we get to like the cheese of the man. I feel like is the only one that I 
thoroughly enjoyed and loved, like, a spirited debate. But this is just like, oh, God. (laughs) This is more a debate we're having with ourselves from 14 years ago. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel bad for my little young self. Yeah. I hope one day she can be happy, which uh, is now. I mean, I'm pretty happy, but, like, (laughs) not happy enough where I was like, you know what, I'm going to set a boundary and not watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, well, guys, thank you for listening. This was a lot of fun. Uh. If you uh, if you watched this movie along with us, we're really sorry, but we know you all owned it too. So, <laughs> so I, that's I wonder, on you. You know how like Rasputin and Amoeba music, like they all have uh, those sellback programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how many times yeah. people have returned Garden State. Like I wonder how many they were like, we can't take anymore. We already have fifty copies. Or I wonder if they just took mm. it anyway, and we're just like, I'm gonna give you a dollar, and we're just gonna add it to this pile. I bet you're wondering what our most returned film is here at Amoeba Music on Sunset Boulevard. As it turns out, it's 2004's Garden State. It's great. You know what? Uh, If you want to watch another bad movie with Zach Braff, follow that up with The Last Kiss, where he tries to justify cheating. Uh, Then follow it up with his third movie that he got kickstarted. I don't remember what it's called, and I frankly don't care. It's, like, called Wish I Was Here or something like that, but I don't know. Hold on, hold on. I want to actually give the synopsis of what it is. Uh, it's, I, I know this one, actually. Uh, his dad is Mandy Patinkin, right? And, uh, and he, like, has to... He decides to homeschool his kids. It is called Wish I Was Here. Hang on. Oh, I found it. Uh, A struggling actor. Yes. Hello. A struggling actor, father, and husband finds himself at a major crossroads, which forces him to examine his life, his family, and his career. This is literally the logline for Garden State. Yeah. Uh, Just a fun fact, the song that plays in the trailer uh, for this film is Simple Song by, (laughs) you already know it, it's The Shins. You know what I was going to ask you? I was going to be like, if they made a Garden State 2, what would it be? I think it's just uh, wish you were here. It is just wish wish I was here. Yeah, <laughs> wish I was here. It, I'm really upset because his character is named Aiden, which is my name backwards. Well, on that note, <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun. I hate that this movie is in my house. I'm gonna go probably throw it in the dumpster and make it a GIF and post it on our Facebook. Uh, <laughs> I think we've all had enough of Zach Braff at this point. Uh, we all, we all probably should have known better. We all probably should have known better, folks. Uh, probably should have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll see you for the next episode. Yeah, bye. Gold teeth and a curse for this town. All in my mouth. Only I don't know how they got out, dear. Turn me back into the pet. I was when we met. I was happier than with no mindset And if you talk to me like a girl takes you to win But I'd have jumped from my tree and I would have danced
like the king of the eyesores. Rest of our lives with a third world. No, <laughs> sorry, this music is. Um, no, slang when you notice the stripes.